There's three uh, events in the Christian life or the Christian calendar that get a lot of publicity. The birth of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. We've already referred to those this morning. Uh, They're widely recognized holidays uh, around the world. Uh, Christmas, (coughs) Good Friday, uh, and Easter. But the Ascension doesn't get so much of a reference to it, does it? Uh, Those other three, you can go into Tesco's, I would think, and you will find a Christmas card. Maybe not at this time of year, but you might. Um, You'll uh, find at Easter uh, with cards referring to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. But I think you might struggle to go into a shop and find an Ascension card. not saying there aren't any, but you might struggle. In the Church of England... Uh, Ascension Day is marked in the church calendar, uh, but for many, it often goes by with hardly a mention. And uh, it happened to be this last Thursday, Thursday the 26th, and uh, I think that's the reason why Joseph on Thursday uh, evening, at our, when we met to, to pray, uh, and myself this morning, and Mike Stringer have all noted it, as it were, and thought, this is a good opportunity to preach on something and speak on something which is not so much thought about. I'm not saying we need to mark the day, I don't misunderstand that, but we do need to be aware of its significance. You see, without the ascension, the birth and the, desert, and the death and the resurrection of Christ are really of no use. Yes, there might be something we can learn from them, but they're really of no use because It's the ascension that, as it were, releases the power of all that has been accomplished. Do you remember Mary in the garden after Jesus had risen from the dead? He says, do not hold on to me. I have not yet returned to my father. Jesus had to return to the father to, as it were, to unleash the power of all that was accomplished. Do you remember the disciples in, uh, at the end of Matthew's Gospel? Um, and uh, they, well, Jesus said to them, go and make disciples. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But then when they were there at this event that we read of in Acts chapter 1, the Ascension, and... Jesus rose before them, they might have been worrying and wondering what was happened because Jesus, who had promised to be with them, it looked like he was going to be leaving them and absent. And no doubt thinking there's no one here to help us and lead us and guide us. But actually it meant the opposite. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, he had to go back to the Father to unleash the power that the Holy Spirit might come and drive all that has happened since then. There's only three brief mentions in the New Testament of what actually happened. One of them is at the end of Mark's Gospel, and there's some debate about whether those last few Verses of Mark's Gospel are original and part of Mark's Gospel, but it says there, one verse, Mark says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Just one verse. And then Luke mentions it as well. At the end of Luke's Gospel, 
and here in Acts chapter 1. At the end of Luke, in Luke 24, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into the heaven, into heaven. Just two verses there. And then this account that we read in Acts chapter 1. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And they're the only verses that that actually mentioned what happened and how it happened. And if those verses weren't in the Bible, we might be left wondering whatever happened to Jesus. Because he had appeared after he had risen from the dead, but then he would have disappeared. Maybe he would have been recorded somewhere on a missing persons list. And I think the disciples would have been wondering, what's happened? Where is he? And it would leave us with this big question of, Where is Jesus now? But it is mentioned here. And it is referred to elsewhere in terms of what Jesus is doing now. And uh, this morning I want to tell you three things about the ascension. And then uh, I've got eight, eight answers to the question, where is Jesus now? If you look on the notes, it said seven. But when I was looking through it this morning, I added another one. And there may be more as well. But three things about the ascension. Uh, first of all. So three things about the first, uh, about the ascension. Firstly, it follows the resurrection. It, you might say, well, that's obvious, but uh, we, we just need to remember that. It follows the resurrection. In the first verse of Acts, Luke writes, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He appeared many times. He gave convincing truths and uh, it was a period of 40 days after the resurrection. Think of some of those times that Jesus appeared. Firstly, there's Mary in the garden who we've mentioned already who thought he was the gardener. There was uh, those men on the road to Emmaus and, uh, you know, downhearted and Jesus appeared to them. About seven miles from Jerusalem, two, two and a half hour walk, Jesus appears to them. To the disciples, uh, locked behind closed doors because of the fear, uh, because of fear. By the Sea of Galilee, and I spoke on uh, referred to that uh, when I spoke a few weeks ago. By the Sea of Galilee that morning when they'd, those men had gone out fishing and come back, they'd caught nothing and Jesus is there and there's that miraculous uh, catch of fish and he invites them to join him for breakfast. In a mountain somewhere uh, in Galilee, not sure exactly where, uh, where he said, go there and I will meet you and he tells them and sends them out into all the world to preach the gospel. And at other times too. And to 
other people too. In one place, over 500 people saw him. And uh, in those days, uh, following the resurrection, he spoke about the coming kingdom. This kingdom that would be established not by the sword, but by words and deeds in the power of the Holy Spirit. So firstly, it follows the resurrection. Uh, Secondly, it happened at Bethany. It happened at Bethany, and Luke 24 tells us that. Bethany is an interesting place and a significant place in the life of Jesus. It's just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Uh, and probably something of a, a haven outside a, a busy city. It's in the foothill of the Mount of Olives. And it's actually the place where Jesus began his ministry. It was the hometown of his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's the uh, only place uh, recorded where Jesus wept when he wept over the death of Lazarus. That was at Bethany. It was a place where he said what we were thinking about with the children. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. It was a place where he spent uh, uh, the night and stayed uh, before that final entry into Jerusalem. And it seems appropriate that this is the place where he ascended from them. So follows the resurrection. It happened at Bethany. But then it explains what happened to Jesus. As I said, if those verses that we read weren't in the Bible, we would be left wondering whatever happened to Jesus. A bit like in the same way, we would have been left, what happened to Peter, the one who denied the Lord, if John 21 hadn't been in the Bible? Uh, What happened to Peter from one moment denying the Lord, and then in Acts 2, just not that many weeks later, preaching the gospel, uh, and standing up and proclaiming him, we, we think, what's happened? But in the same way, if these verses telling us that he ascended weren't here, we wouldn't have known what had happened. Is he a missing person? No, he's not. He's gone home. It's interesting, very often people do go missing, but then uh, when they eventually find them, where I Are they? They've gone home. And that's where Jesus has gone. He's returned to heaven, returned to the Father, taken up to heaven, taken up in a cloud or or on a cloud. Can't be clear exactly what it it means or what it says. And it's interesting that the three main creeds um, down through the years, the three main creeds all stress the ascension, that he ascended into heaven and went back to the Father. If there was no record of all of this, we'd be left wondering. Because the Gospels record what happened to Jesus uh, on the earth, but Acts tells us what happens next. At the uh, beginning, again, verse 1 of Acts 1, Luke says, uh, he spoke of, or wrote of all that Jesus began to do, and Acts, if you like, is all that he continues to do. We often refer to the Acts as the Acts of the Apostles, but actually it would be more rightly referred to, and when I was reading F.B. Mayer, he says it should be referred to the Acts of the Ascended Christ. It's the Acts of the Ascended Christ. And um, 
then you go on to the letters and there's other verses that uh, indicate of all that Jesus is doing now. And we're going to be looking at some of those in a moment. So that's firstly three things about the ascension. Uh, but then uh, eight answers to the question, where is Jesus now? And not just where is he, but what is he doing? What is he doing? Firstly, uh, so my first point is this. Jesus, he is in heaven. He is in heaven. A number of verses come from Hebrews chapter 4. And listen to what this says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Or the New King James Version says he has passed through the heavens. He ascended into heaven or passed through the heavens. From what I understand, um, I'll come to that in a moment, but uh, uh, I don't think that he just, you know, we're here at uh, near to East Midlands Airport and sometimes you can see a plane in the sky and it looks tiny. But if you were to go to the airport, you'd see this enormous plane on the runway and it hurtles down the runway and then it goes off into the distance, just gets smaller and smaller and eventually disappears. Or a ship on the horizon, which is just going and going and eventually it vanishes. I don't think Jesus disappeared just like that. It, it does actually say he, he went into heaven or he passed through the heavens and uh, it seems that the Jews had three heavens, as it were. First of all, that there's... The sky above, uh, the place where the birds fly, that's the first heaven. And then the the second heaven, um, uh, the place where the planets are, the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets. But then the third heaven, which is, as it were, is the sanctuary of God. And it seems to say, these scriptures seem to say that he passed through the heavens, through the realms, as it were, to the sanctuary of God. I think maybe the best way of illustrating it is from uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. And uh, do you remember those children, uh, the four children? They were in the, the house of the professor. And when they went through, they went into the wardrobe and they went through the wardrobe into Narnia. They went into another realm. And I think that's a very helpful illustration to think about Jesus as ascended into the heavens. So firstly, he is in heaven this morning. Secondly, he is on the throne. He is on the throne. Hebrews 7.26, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Exalted above the heavens. He has ascended to the throne. We very often think of this word ascension, uh, uh, ascension, you know, he's ascended rather than descended and uh, going up rather than down. But the word ascension has another meaning. And I think it's very appropriate that this week uh, illustrates that with the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee uh, celebrating 70 years on the throne. On the 25th of February, 1952, the Queen ascended the throne. That doesn't mean she was little and she had to climb up to get on it. But to ascend means to rise from a lower level or station to a higher one. It's one of 
position and the queen ascends the throne. And Jesus is on the throne. He has ascended the throne, the throne which is far above all. Listen to what it says in Ephesians. Uh, It's not an earthly throne. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 19, uh, it it says this. uh, It's speaking about, it's a long sentence, but I'll pick it up in the middle of verse 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus this morning is ruling on a higher throne, on the highest throne, the one which is above all. Yes, the queen ascended a throne, but Jesus is on the throne which is above all. He is on the throne to which every knee will bow. Our queen, Putin, Biden, Boris, me, you, every knee will bow to that throne. He's the one who is Lord over every power, over every might and dominion and principality. He is in the highest place. I was going to say in the universe, but in all realms. And isn't it remarkable to think that there is a man on that throne? Jesus, the man who is on that throne far above all. And we can trust him. And that power which raised him from the dead, that verse referred to in Ephesians, is at work in us. That same power that raised Jesus from the, from the dead, that took him to that throne, is the power which has been unleashed by his return to the Father and return to heaven and is at work in us. What a tremendous privilege we have. He is on the throne. And uh, then thirdly, He is in the presence of God. He is in the presence of God. Hebrews 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence. There's a man in the presence of God. Jesus in the presence of God. Looking into the face of God. It speaks of intimacy and closeness. I remember going to uh, Super Saturday on the 2012 Olympics in London. Uh, I had a privilege of being able to get a ticket for the swimming, which uh, I love. And I went to Super Saturday and there I saw Michael Phelps get his 23rd gold medal. He then retired and uh, he got another five after that, but that's another story. But I was there when Michael Phelps got his 23rd gold medal. I saw him face to face as he walked around the pool. I was in his presence. Actually, I was right up at the top of the extra stands they put on the pool. It could have been anyone walking around the pool. I wouldn't have known it was him. 
Was I in his presence? Yes, but no. But Jesus is in the very presence of God, face to face with God. In heaven today, the face of Jesus looking into the face of God. Jesus this morning is in the presence of God. And then fourthly, he is seated at God's right hand. Seated at God's right hand. Probably familiar with that phrase about uh, Jesus being at God's right hand. It comes about a hundred times in the New Testament. And the right hand, uh, the, the, the right hand is a, um, it's a favoured position. It's a position of strength and authority. Uh, authority. Come and sit at my right hand. And many of those references to Jesus being at God's right hand refer to him being seated. And a number of times in Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 2, speak of him being seated at God's right hand. Now, we've got to be aware of taking it literally, as it were, uh, or too literally. The rest, because he's tired and exhausted. He was just asleep. Uh, it's not uh, sitting down because of exhaustion, but it's as he's seated because of completion. In the tabernacle, there was no chair. In the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the place where the, the, the high priest would, would come and, and do his work, uh, there was no chair. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews that he stands to perform his duties because that work is never finished. He's now seated at the right hand of God. His work is finished. His work is complete. Well, I should say the work of salvation is complete because he is still doing a work. Seated at the right hand of God. Not in an armchair having a rest, but on the throne continuing to do his work uh, of intercession for us. And is there anything that we can do to get that salvation, as it were? No, the work of salvation is complete. And actually, we are told to do something. We're told to look and believe and accept and trust. That has to be our response to what God, uh, what Jesus has done. So there's some things about where he is. Uh, but then uh, the next few points about what he is doing. I think one, two, three, that was number four. So number five, what is he doing? He's representing us. He's representing us. Listen to that verse in Hebrews 9.24. Did you notice it? It says this. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. For us in God's presence. Just two words, for us. There is Jesus in the inner sanctuary of the heavens where the Father dwells for us. I find that mind-blowing. Um, appearing for us as our 
as our lawyer, as our, as our representative, as our advocate. Imagine our MP here in Loughborough, uh, Jane Hunt, and uh, imagine her going, not, not, not necessarily to the Prime Minister, let's say, imagine her going to see the Queen on my behalf. It just wouldn't happen. Or on your behalf. It wouldn't happen. But here is Jesus in the very presence of God this morning for us. For us. The old High Testament priests uh, wore a breastplate, a bit like armour or again, put it up on the screen. There it is, okay. Uh, oh, there we go. Something like that. We don't know exactly what it looked like. But the, in the Old Testament, the, the, the high priest, when he went in, he wore this on him and it had 12 stones on him, on it. And those 12 stones represented the covenant people of God, the 12 tribes, the covenant people of God. And, and the idea that they were on his heart, as it were, as he came into the presence of God. Well, if we are trusting in Christ, we are on his heart in the presence of God. Jesus is our great high priest. If we are in him, our name is in his heart. We often talk about all oh, having Jesus in my heart. And yes, in some senses, that's true. Um, well, it talks about the spirit of God dwelling in us. But actually, if we are trusting in Christ, we are in his heart, which is so much better, representing us. And can I ask this morning, is he representing you or not? Have you repented and turned from sin and asked Christ to forgive you and be your saviour? Because if you haven't, then he is not representing you. And I'd urge you to, to look to him, to cry out to him, to call on him, to be your saviour. And then you will be in his heart and he will be representing you before God. So that was uh, number five, I think, he is representing us. Uh, number six, he is, can I say, he's waiting for us. In Acts chapter 7, there's another reference to Jesus in heaven. Uh, we, we, the whole chapter is full of Stephen uh, preaching to the Sanhedrin, preaching to the religious leaders, preaching his heart out, but they don't like what he says. And what do they do? It says they're furious and gnashed their teeth at him, verse 54 of Acts 7. But then it gets worse than that. It says that they drag him out of the city they stone him, and they stone him to death. And in Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's why I think we have to be careful with taking it literally that Jesus is sitting, as it were, because here we see him standing. And this is the first recorded incident of someone being put to death because of their faith. The first martyr. So many more have died since 
and so many more will die because of their faith in Christ. But yet here we see Jesus in heaven, standing as if he's waiting for him, welcoming him into the presence of God. What does Stephen see? The glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand, ready to welcome Stephen. And I think showing the way for us, as it were, that Jesus is waiting for us in heaven, waiting for those who are trusting in Christ. So waiting for us. And then number seven, I think we've got to, uh, what's he doing? He is preparing a home for us. My in-laws moved up to Loughborough uh, 20-something years ago and uh, lived in a bungalow around the corner. And before they came, we were preparing the home for them, doing, well, actually did some building work and doing some decorating and, and getting all nice, ready for them to arrive, preparing a home for them. And that's what Jesus spoke about doing for the disciples and for those trusting in Christ. In John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. What is Jesus doing? He's preparing a home, preparing a place for those who are trusting in Christ. And that's a great comfort in life, to know that there is one preparing a place for us, getting things ready, getting things, as it were, to welcome us into heaven. And why is that? Well, it's because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, which he goes on and says a few verses after he speaks of preparing a place for them. And then finally, what is Jesus doing? Can I suggest to you that he is getting ready to return? He's getting ready to come back. We don't know when. We don't know exactly how. But we can be sure that he's coming. We can be sure. Look at what it says in these verses. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back again in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And it speaks of his coming again in so many places. What's he doing in heaven? Getting ready to return. We don't know exactly when. But let's not stand around gazing, looking up like that. Let's be getting on with the work that God has given us to do. Going out into all the world, proclaiming the gospel, trying to share the gospel and spread the gospel in whatever way we can. That's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years as this gospel has gone out across the world. And how do we do it? Not in our own strength, but we do it in the power that has been unleashed. We do it in the power that he promised. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And as we go about that, as we go about our lives, yes, we have to live in this world, but seeking to make Jesus known to others, we can rest assured because we know that he is coming back. We don't know when, but let's be ready because it might be soon. 
well, may God help us to enjoy the, the wonder of the ascended Christ, all that he's done and all that he continues to do for us.